I'm Frederick Curtin, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. And this is Pushback Talks, and we are back again. And Leilani, it, I mean, the last time we talked, it was like 29 below zero, and today it was only seven. So it's, it's springtime is coming to Canada. Seven below zero. I mean, isn't that That for does you? not feel spring-like, <laughs> let me tell you. Okay. No, no. Okay. Uh, the sun is shining in Malmo, uh, mm. Sweden. It's not very warm, but I, I, if you find a little corner, you can actually sit in the sun and enjoy life. Nice. This is important for us, the Nordics, the Canadians and the Swedes, is to get some, some sun time. Some vitamin D. I, I don't even let my mind turn to warmth and sunshine because I feel such uh, loss. I won't feel warmth on my skin until June, I think. Okay, that's not so Maybe far. Maybe May if I'm lucky. It's only f- two, three months more. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Maybe I'll get maybe I'll get that vaccine and the sunshine at the same time. <laughs> okay. So, friends, listeners to Pushback Talks, uh, Leilani was I was following her for two years, uh, doing the film Push. Uh, I found her on Twitter. It's a good place to find people. When I was doing research for the film. Since I started the film, we also started to, you know, try to understand things together. And you were, as a UN Special Rapporteur, you were looking into the financialization of housing and, and all this. But somewhere in the middle of this, we said, okay, Blackstone, the biggest hedge fund, you know, all these funds, the, the real estate trusts, you know, all this. Where are they getting the money from? Remember? Oh, I remember. And we realized a lot of their money was coming from pension funds, insurance companies, and they are borrowing from banks. Yeah. So we got deep into the world of finance in a, in a strange sort of way. We did. And, and, um, and uh, since then, I know that half of all the money on the world stock markets are, are pension money. So there is like an ocean of pension money out there. And the banks are sitting on a lot of money that they can play around with. In many ways, I think the, the finance industry is like the, it's a new front line where we should focus a lot on, on their behavior. I'm going to introduce to you a very cool person in, in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, Jacob Koenig, who is working for something called Fair Finance Guide, uh, which I've been following here. It's a Swedish NGO, and they're doing a a very cool job uh, checking on the finance industry. So let's let's welcome Jacob. Welcome to Pushback Talks. Welcome, Jacob. Hello. Thank you. Nice to be here. So you have to tell Leilani what you're doing, because she has no idea. I mean, she's in Canada. They don't have stuff like that in Canada. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I am super interested to know what you've been up to, what your work is. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope we can uh, establish the project also in Canada because uh, basically what we're doing is we are uh, we are assessing and scoring financial institutions on how they consider sustainability issues when they invest and lend money. Then we publish the results to the public on a you know public website uh, where bank clients, consumers, you know anyone can check their bank's scores and see more concretely 
where their money is ending up. Mm. And then we offer them a very uh, simple uh, action. They can send a, a pre-written complaint to their bank, uh, urging them to, to step up uh, the responsibility and, and kind of threaten to, to otherwise switch their banks, uh, mm. switch bank. I can, I can tell you when, you know, for example, we have been talking a lot about uh, Oatly and Blackstone. Blackstone buying into the oatmeal company based here in Malmo. And then we, we've, we found out that they are really busy in, in, in the soya trade in, in Brazil and building the soya harbor and so on. It, it, it has been really interesting to see, because you, you did a report on, on the soya trade in Brazil, didn't you? Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, th- that's uh, very t- typical for the financial sector. I mean, you can take pretty much any issue around the world, and it's o- often linked to corporate activities. And at the top of these uh, corporate activities are financial backers, which are financial institutions that act- either own or finance these companies. So ultimately, the financial sector is, is governing much of what the corporate world is doing including multinationals and all their supply chains. So, I mean, that's a good example, like the, the deforestation and fires and, and violations in, in the Amazon, that it's, it's caused by the agricultural interest in soy and, and cattle and beef, which in turn is exported and used in, you know, uh, f- by food producers or dairy companies or restaurant chains. And these companies, are owned by financial institutions and financed by them. So if we want to get the companies to to uh, request more sustainable production and sourcing, we need to get the financial institutions to ask to, to, to make the companies prioritize this. Otherwise, the companies can't transition into more sustainable business models. I, this report you, you did about Brazil, I tagged three Swedish banks uh, in, in a Twitter and they all came back really quick and said, hey, yeah, but we, are, we, are, we, are, we want to stay within these companies because then we can move them to be better and we are forcing them to be a part of some kind of UN initiative, you know. So they had this kind of, they had a talking point ready. But it's and, and I contacted my own bank and they sent me like a three page long answer. <laughs> so it's the work you do, uh, Jacob, is actually stressing them. I think that's cool. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how it works. So so forgive my um, slow brain this. But, you know, remember, I'm in a different time zone than you. So my brain is slow. I'm trying to figure out. So if it, let's take Frederick's example of Blackstone investing in Oatly. So when you're doing an assessment, so Blackstone is a private equity firm, are you're not assessing the private equity firm, you're assessing the pension funds that give to their money or insurance money or bank loans that give their money to the private equity firm, is that right? So you're not assessing the private equity firm itself. Yeah, I mean, the, um, actually, the the relationship between Oatly and Blackstone is a bit different because the problem with with uh, Blackstone being a, a big shareholder of Oatly is that Blackstone is not really well known for acting responsibly, and one of their businesses is indeed operations in the Amazon, and there uh, it is. It was one of our the cases we raised in a report a year ago. And we uh, we we checked 
Swedish bank's investments in Blackstone as a company. So they are shareholders of Blackstone, uh, but also other uh, companies like Brazilian meat companies and uh, big soy multinationals, which have been documented for causing the, the deforestation by buying soy and beef uh, from these these uh, producers. I mean, the financial sector is unfortunately a very secret business. And that's why it keeps on, you know, business as usual, because it's difficult to get an insight. So our report, when we reveal that, you know, some of the biggest banks are big investors in companies causing these big problems, there is a very strong reaction from the public, which includes the bank's own clients. Right. So then the clients, you would give them this letter. The clients could write a letter to their bank to say you shouldn't be giving your money to or have a share in Blackstone because Blackstone does these terrible things in the Amazon. Yeah, we, we, we make it simple to people. We first reveal the problems and the bank's links to these problems. And then we ask uh, people to simply send a pre-written letter through our website so that the banks get the, the feedback directly from their clients that are protesting against their behavior. And the, the call is, first of all, to try to influence Blackstone to address this issue. Uh, and if you cannot uh, influence them sufficiently, you have to divest. That's the way how also the UN guiding principles prescribe how you should act. How did the banks react in Sweden after those letters? Well, it, it was quite, uh, uh, it was our, at, at that point, the biggest campaign success we had so far. Uh, we got over, over 5,000 bank clients uh, sent letters through our website and we got uh, the Minister of Financial Sector uh, Markets um, uh, commenting and and so it it is really uncomfortable for the banks when this type of information leaks out. It, it ends up on the front pages of newspapers and it's spread widely in social media. So it is it's 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 much a transparency issue. There's uh, the problem keeps on going because it's not it's hidden in the dark, kind of. So when we put it out in the light, people start to react, and then the financial sector has to start to react. And and actually, it, I mean, it, it, we created some really interesting results. Uh, we uh, a few weeks later, uh, several of the banks, uh, together with some other investors, started to engage with the Brazilian government, first through the embassy, uh, the, the Brazilian embassies in their respective countries. And then a few weeks later, they got a, a meeting with the vice president in in Brazil. It's this shook them a little bit, <laughs> definitely. And for a vice president or a government to get this message from institutional investors, which normally don't engage and, and ask them to address human rights issues uh, and so on, but when they say this is a concern to us because we are <laughs> we're being criticized for our financial links to these issues. So this is a risk to us. We want you to enforce, you know, to regulate this better. And and actually, directly after the meeting, the, the vice president announced a three-month formal fire ban um, as a consequence of this investor meeting. And it, it was on the international media and, and so on. It was a very unusual engagement by the investors. We, but we also saw the more typical actions, which was, the biggest Nordic bank, Nordea, uh, excluded, divested the biggest uh, meat company in the world, GBS, is the Brazilian company, uh, 
they did it publicly in international media and said that the, the company was not reacting sufficiently on their engagement, you know, that the, the bank has tried, tried to influence them through dialogue, and, and but they, they didn't react sufficiently and therefore they divested. And that's a very strong signal. And that puts pressure on the company. It puts pressure on other investors that keep investing in JBS. So the, the pressure keeps building up around the company to start to address this issue better. It's cool. It's very, I think it's very cool. I love the um, the chain of accountability that then fits within a bank's um, assessment of their own risk. So you've, you've introduced a new element of a risk assessment. In other words, if we're, if we're pissing off, excuse the expression, our clients, the people who are using our bank who give us their money, that introduces for a bank a new risk that then they have to take quite seriously, but it's based on, you know, issues of human rights and and uh, environmental action, et cetera. So it's 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 pretty cool, and I I love the impact that you've had to actually manage to get the institution to talk to the government. Right, because the institution has so much power with the government versus the individual human rights advocate, for example. It's pretty cool. It's, it's as It has really been a game changer. And I mean, I used to work in the financial sector with sustainability uh, issues and was quite frustrated about there's so much greenwashing and so much talking without walking. And I thought, you know, we need to mobilize their clients, you know, the consumers, the bank clients, the pension savers. Uh, if they get to know this, then you create an incentive for the financial institutions to improve. But if you if they can't see the tell the difference, they don't see the problem, they can't make an informed choice. Everything just keeps on going. There's no incentive to be a laggard, and there's no incentive to be a front runner because no one sees the difference. So there needs to be some kind of independent actor that can communicate in an easy way to the public and help them to easily act on it. You cannot just give the task to just do something about it. You you have to you know give them a simple option, uh, action they can do by sending a complaint, and then we'll take care of the difficult stuff, which is the dialogue with the banks and the, all the details. Because sustainability issues are really tricky sometimes, and and that's not, nothing that you should put uh, in the lap of an average you know bank client or consumer. When we released Push. It's now soon two years ago. Actually, when we were editing, and my my editor, Eric, he actually checked his own pension savings, actually from a union, old, you know, labor movement um, pension fund, and he found out that there were, he, was, he was also sitting on, on Blackstone financial products. So when we launched the film, uh, Jacob's NGO, Fair, Fair Finance Guide, actually published the, the investment Swedish banks and institutions had in Blackstone, which was actually a very good also for the understanding of that this, this monster that these hedge funds are. It's like a global cloud of money. We are also taking part of the cloud by, with our own savings. Yeah, we're all part of the system, uh, but we don't really know it and we have a difficulty to act on it. So that's the basic problem. But essentially, when when we hear about controversial business practices and so on, often we are indirectly shareholders of these companies. And we need to get the financial institutions to take on our interest and represent us in that relationship. And the problem is that 
corporate corporate uh, companies around the world are owned by hundreds and thousands of different financial institutions and everyone owns a little and no one takes responsibility and the companies then get very short-term focused uh, numerous short-term focused owners uh, which makes it difficult for them to make more long-term transition because sustainability aspects are long-term but the financial sector is plagued with short-termism because that's how it works how that's that's how they perform against short-term benchmarks so if you can make this transition and link the interest of the public which i mean it's our money basically that they're using uh, and get them to act more responsibly in when when they uh, invest and, and finance companies but the end of the story was that that one of the biggest banks in sweden swedbank who is then also a cooperative bank one of the biggest banks and you remember, um, Leilani, you were in Sweden. We showed push at this Almedal and this political week. The entity that invited us was actually this Swedbank was a part of that. They support cooperative aid to. We were also in El Salvador showing the film through that entity. But they actually pulled out of Blackstone. They, they had a, quite a big amount of money in Blackstone products and they moved out. Uh, they didn't make any big noise around it, but they actually moved out. It's an amazing result. They were very uh, stressed by this issue. Uh, it, it, you know, usually when when we publish things, it's uh, it ends up at uh, top level because either we rank the banks and then you are compared on issues that people care about, and you are ranked and compared with your competitors. And it's you know you don't want to have a worse climate score or human rights score. Um, but also when you when when we reveal things like this, it's something that people are very concerned about and they get upset about it. So, in the Blackstone case about Swedbank, I don't think they really acted uh, in a the best way because they sneaked out the investments without even commenting it in a, in their reporting. They should have made a public announcement that uh, Blackstone is not listening to our demands. That's why we have to divest. That's the way you make it, have an influence. You cannot just sneak out your investments because then it just you just transfer the the ownership to someone else, which probably won't, you know, care about it. Mm. Can, can I ask you, Jacob, about your assessments and and where human how? What are the different things that you're looking for when you're doing your assessments? And do you look at the human right to housing in your assessments or real estate that could then fit with the human rights standards that you might use? Like, what are how are you doing these assessments? Yeah, so we, I mean, uh, firstly, we uh, Fair is a, it's a international network. It's a it's a partnership between about 50 civil society organizations in 13 countries including Oxfam and Amnesty. So we're all behind this. Uh, uh, it's a collaborative initiative. And together we have developed an international methodology for assessing financial institutions, considerations to sustainability issues like human rights, labor rights, tax evasion, environmental issues, climate change. And we score the banks in different, I think we have 25 different topics that we score the banks on policies, on their commitments, on paper. And then we follow up with case studies where we take samples and and check how they actually invest and, and, and compare it whether with their policy commitments to see if it holds. Do they live up to their commitments, their promises to clients? And if they don't, we 
we fail them and we we say that they they let their clients down and all the assessments are based on international norms and standards like the OECD guidelines uh, global compact uh, UN guiding UN guiding principles for business and human rights and other best practice standards for uh, dealing with sustainability issues in in uh, different sectors Leilani, you should talk to Oxfam and Amnesty in Canada. They should totally move in. And I mean, 13 countries, we have listeners in 100 countries. So there is at least 87 more countries to come in after only after this show, I would say. Uh, so <laughs> contact your, your local uh, Amnesty and Oxfam people and ask them to set up this in initiative because it, it makes the big, this pressure on the financial market, they are always under the radar. And, and people love when they, when your savings are growing. But I mean, if, if your savings, if my savings is growing uh, at the cost of uh, human rights or at the cost of the climate going crazy, it's not okay. I, I prefer to have <laughs> less of a return, for God's sake. Mm. One of the things that's interesting to me is, and this uh, is a peculiarity perhaps, but... Um, while it's true, Frederick, you know, I'm, ha I'm happy personally to engage Amnesty and Oxfam about these, this idea, but Amnesty and Oxfam have traditionally not really looked at real estate and housing in their human rights work. Even Oxfam's reports, which I rely on extensively on inequality that come out every year around Davos, um, they never talk about the way in which residential real estate in particular is both driving inequality and, of course, a consequence of inequality. And um, so I would love to push Fair Finance and others, Oxfam, Amnesty, etc., in making sure that the assessments that are going on at, of, of these financial actors include an assessment on the right to housing. I actually think there's a huge um, um, opportunity there because there are so many tenants around the world who pay into pensions and rely on banks who could be mobilized to really bring that human rights dimension to this conversation. And I, I'm familiar with the human rights guidelines for businesses that the UN has put out. I've commented on those. I'm familiar with the OECD guidelines, etc. And all of them miss residential real estate um, as an area, a major and significant area where the the where financial flows are going, and the then impact on everyday people. So so I'm going to push you all <laughs> to make sure that you really meaningfully include that in your assessments. So listen now, Amnesty Oxfam <laughs> around the world. If you don't move, Leilani will be out there and kicking your butt and it will be quite often. So just get moving. This is like, how, how difficult can it be? You know, uh, housing is a human right. So just get started. But it's also, I mean... I read a statistic, and Jacob, I don't know if you've you've seen this statistic. I read a s statistic that we, Frederick and I, have talked about on this podcast. Eighty percent of f funds achieved through illicit means, eighty percent of corrupt money, basically, flows into real estate. 
You know, so I also know, and Frederick knows from the film, and you've seen in the film that that residential real estate is the biggest business in the world. It's it's bigger than tobacco. It's it's bigger than any. It's bigger than agro businesses. It is the biggest business in the world. So it would seem to me, it's an appropriate area to target. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a very interesting suggestion, and, and I have to actually. We, we have a, a, one of the twenty-five themes we assess banks on is one is real estate and housing. So, and the the thing is that we don't apply it in Sweden of, for capacity issues. So I, I'm not into the details of what criteria is included. It could be that we already have the right to housing principle, uh, but it's a very interesting suggestion. It's all. It's all. Uh, it, the only requirement is that uh, it can be um, derived from some some kind of international norm or or uh, standard or convention. Then it can be included because we only base it on base this principle. When you go there, Jacob, talk to Leilani, and she will help you to to frame it. And I think it's it's. I I I really hope that you can move over to that. I mean. You're in 13 countries, in, in at least two countries, Netherlands and Norway. Your people are also checking the pension funds and the insurance companies and so on. So, so and especially Norway, which sits on this extremely big um, oil fund. So that so the behavior of that fund is really important. So and 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 I know because I've been in in a lot of seminars with uh, people in Norway that. They are. They also are sitting on, on Blackstone shares, the Norwegian oil fund. So they, so they, they are now criticized for that, and we should keep criticizing them until they move out because it's it's not okay. It's. I mean, it's uh, also a sim- a typical for sustainability issues. It's a. It's a one. It's two words. It's one term, but it contains so many perspectives. We have. Currently, a few hundred, I think, three, four hundred sustainability criteria that we assess the banks against, and um, that's uh, that's the challenge to capture everything. We already have a monster kind of when we our assessment methodology. We call it the monster because it's so huge. But I think it's a very very important uh, suggestion. I, I will take it with me and and discuss it with our network to see if we can we can implement it. You, you've been very successful here with the Swedish banks to make them move out from oil and coal and so on, those investments. But now you saw that the same banks that moved out their investments from oil, they are still lending money to, because that's another part of the bank. So then they keep doing business. Yeah, it's quite absurd. I mean, we the, la- the last year, Almost all Swedish large banks have divested from fossil fuel companies that have don't have transition plans in line with Paris. That's a that's a revolution. We have asked for it for many years, but in the last year, uh, four out of five have done it. Um, but within lending, the the most secret business because it's covered by bank secrecy regulation, where banks cannot disclose. Uh, the information about their lending, they are pumping in 10 times more money to oil companies drilling in the Arctic, building new coal power plants, expanding their coal mines. We just released a report two, two weeks ago uh, about this, and there was a big uh, reaction in the public because, because um, you know, it doesn't matter if you stop investing, if you keep funding them, if you keep financing this. It's even more serious if you finance. That's a much more active 
support and can it actually enables these companies to keep uh, drilling and uh, yeah and I, I have a parallel here Leilani about this because you know we, we talked a lot about KLU is a big housing company Heimstaden actually we're based here in Malmo uh, we have Blackstone we have a lot of different actors you know we were in Prague exactly a year ago we were in Prague for the premiere of Push in, in the Czech Republic I asked the audience do you know if Blackstone is in the country and they really didn't know but what I have found out that just a few months earlier, Blackstone owned 42,000 apartments in, in the Czech Republic that they bought from a corrupt billionaire that got it from the state some, you know, for, for nothing. They called coal miner housing. But they had just sold it to a Swedish company, 44,000 apartments. And for a Swedish company like that to be able to grab such a big chunk it's it's more than they have apartments that they, they have even in their home country it means that they they have money but there's they also have banks banks helping them so the the banks are also you know th this kind of behavior where we see the, the the concentration of capital into the our homes is bigger than ever i mean only in my town i can see it that we have fewer and fewer companies owning more and more homes. And this is like a global trend. And that trend is now, it's the banks that is fueling this trend. So this is something we, we, we need to look into. Yeah, I, I, I'm finding this fascinating, actually. And I, I'm thinking about a, an NGO that I met out in San Francisco that has been doing exactly this um, at a very local level. Um, but of course, it's global money that flows into San Francisco in terms of housing and, and real estate. And they've been disrupting, going to banks and and lobbying the banks not to lend to uh, enable the purchase of affordable housing by uh, big capital or multinationals, etc. And, and they've been quite successful in, on a number of occasions. And I'm thinking I'm writing a set of human rights directives in the area of financialization. So what governments should do with respect to financialization. And I, I'm now going to include a section on lending, which I hadn't thought of before. So it's I think I think this is a, a really rich area. I work here in Canada with a sort of quasi government body called the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, CMHC. And they provide um, mortgage insurance um, and and different kinds of lending instruments. Uh, and I have a close working relationship with them, so I think this is my new, I think this is my new little piece of advocacy. Uh, I could make a huge difference in this country if I disrupted who they lend to, for example. So huge thanks right there. Learned something. If you could hear the audience now, they were all saying, yeah, "I want to talk to Jacob." How, it, you know, people want to know more. Well, uh, the, the network is coordinated by Oxfam in the Netherlands. So uh, you can actually just Google Fair Finance International, which is the network. Uh, and um, there are contacts uh, to the coordinator, if you are, especially if, you are, uh, if you're working at an NGO that is interested in to, to start up your fair finance get in your country. I mean, we have been working on establishing in in the US, uh, I'm not sure Canada, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that would be very uh, helpful and the UK and, and uh, other uh, many other countries. So 
that that's the thing with you know capital if you push it down here it pops out another place so you have to chase the financial institutions in every single country and especially the big capital markets like the US where big dragons like State Street and BlackRock are sitting and can you know pretty much on you know without being questioned uh, claim a lot of nice things on in panels about sustainability but in practice it's a whole different thing yeah Jacob, I have, you know, what we've seen, what we also, the Professor Stieglitz says in the film, the, the Nobel laureate Stieglitz says that well, basically the, the, our salaries hasn't risen for 10 years, but then the people, the rich people are richer and, and richer and richer. So the, the kind of the income gap is growing every year. And we've said it before here that the, the billionaires of, of the U.S. became 25% richer 2020. So it tells the story. <laughs> there was here in Sweden a long time ago, the, the conservative, the right wing said, it's, it's, it's not useful to work because the, the, tax, the taxman will take all the money. But it's still like that. It's like to working is not really rentable compared to investing. So I, there is like a a movement of also young people who think that they they can kind of be smart on the financial market, buying, selling stocks and so on. And we can see, I mean, this very interesting case with GameStop and others where small players actually played around with the hedge funds. So there are people out there in some way feel that they have a power, but they are also... But, but they also feel that they have a power to be rich, you know, or, or grow their small money in it, because it's actually better to be out there than work, which is like insane. Some of these guys, these of these young people, they also want to be ethical. You know, they want to make money, but they also want to do the right thing. Is there a way they can find out how to do the right thing? Um, I th I, I'm sure there are. I mean, then you need corporate corporate company specific information so you don't need information about financial institutions if you are a direct investor i mean if you buy shares on the on the stock market so then you need and i'm sure there are information available on on, on different websites sustainability information you can i mean you can also read the sustainability reports i mean it's often a self declaration it's not really audited but you know, it, uh, I'm sure there are, are tools out there because it is indeed an increased trend that everyone should be their own stock broker. You know, uh, you know. I, to be honest, I used to be a day trader when I was younger. I dreamt to work uh, in an investment bank in London. You know, I just that was my goal. And and so I'm I'm really an experienced uh, trader on the stock market, and I'm very skeptical to the. You know, easy wins. Of course, if the whole stock market it goes up, then it, it doesn't matter what you bet on. But uh, that's not a, a, a law that it will always be like that. So I think it's um, it's a bit. Uh, it's not for everyone to do that. I think it's more for if you're really a bit nerdy in that field and and think it's fun, uh, you can do that. Uh, but it's also uh, associated with with some risks. But can you also do it in B and be be responsible? You know, can you be a responsible capitalist? That's basically the question. Yeah, question I get asked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> when my bank is investing in a company that is having a dodgy practice, instantly I think that my bank is bad. But what you should think, it, depend, it depends on what, how the bank acts on it, because it's also an opportunity. It's a channel to the problem. 
I mean, a few years ago, there was a, this pipeline being built in the North Dakota, and everyone there was some social media campaign where you could check in on Facebook uh, to to make it dif- more difficult for the police to to track who are the protesters there. So everyone was doing it. People were frustrated about that and wanted to do something. And then we released a quick report about Swedish banks' investments in the companies behind this pipeline. And we engaged the bank. The bank engaged with these companies. So actually, we have a channel through our savings, our pension funds, our banks. We have, at first, we have an opportunity to try to change the problem. But it also it depends on how the banks and pension funds act. And but the, the important thing is that if they cannot change the problem, they have to withdraw. And that's not really the case. I mean, they they. They point to these dialogues for years and years and years, and just it, it becomes like they just keep investing as usual. And the companies learn that we don't have really have to change because they're not going to leave us anyway. If uh, your bank has investments in Blackstone, that's an, a, an opportunity to to get your bank to engage with Blackstone. But if the bank cannot get the Blackstone to change sufficiently, they have to withdraw and they have to do it publicly to make a statement and put pressure on other investors and on Blackstone that this is not okay. How difficult is it to find out this information? How opaque is it? Like if I wanted to find out if my bank invests in Blackstone, would it be easy, difficult? Uh, it, it depends quite a lot on what country you're in. Uh, in Sweden, it you can do it. it, it you need some knowledge uh, because there's some public annual reports of investment funds that you can access. And but you need some knowledge to know where to look and and how, what to look for. But if you as CSOs, it's it's much easier within investments. Lending, it's much more tricky. We can we use financial databases that have some information on some type of transactions, but we don't have you know full insight in in the bank's lending portfolio because of the bank secrecy. So we need fair finance. We need fair finance in Canada. <laughs> yeah, and we need to all. I mean, this is something we should start talking about. You know, the finance in, industry need to to be better, to do better. Remember in, when we were in Korea, you were there as a UN special rapporteur on an, on an official mission, and you asked for a meeting with the, the Korean pension fund, which is then one of the biggest pension funds in the world. And you were you were sitting down with the assets managers of the bank, the top asset managers. So what did they tell you? They told me that the government was pressuring them to invest in places and ways to have a bigger return on their investments, that the pension fund wasn't performing as well as the government would like. And uh, the pension fund said that they felt that by giving their money to Blackstone that that would result in better returns. They said that they didn't know exactly where their money was going when they handed it over to Blackstone. I'm not sure. I don't know how true that was, but that's what they told me. Um, So in other words, they just hand the money over and then Blackstone goes and invests it for them and promises a certain rate of return at 10%, which is what they were looking for. But isn't it like that, uh, Jacob, that asset managers at banks and pension funds and so on, they don't really know exactly where the, this money goes. You know, I mean, if we talk about housing, they don't know where, where the houses are, actually. Um, Blackstone, you can, you can either invest in Blackstone's shares, then you become a shareholder in Blackstone as a company. But Blackstone also offers asset management services so they have portfolios and funds that you can put money in and they say we will invest these this money in real estate 
or in infrastructure or you know something else and uh, those those investment funds are usually a bit uh, secret it will be up to the investor there maybe the swedish pension fund i mean i'm sure swedish pension funds are handing over money for, to blackstone to invest you know um, so these private equity funds um, which is called blackstone is the largest private equity fund manager uh, the, the 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 transparency is extra bad uh, regarding those funds. We're doing this podcast without any money, so we also have patreons. People can support us by putting like a two to five to ten to fifty dollars a month and support the the podcast. And we actually had a patreon writing to us and said, maybe you should try to explain some of the more complicated things. Can you can you give us a short, very short? What is a hedge fund? A hedge fund is uh, it's an investment uh, product that can invest in much uh, more ways than a equity fund. An equity fund, which is a normal investment fund, it invests in shares. If the shares go up, the investment fund earns money. But hedge funds can invest in shares going down, and it can invest in different types of uh, financial instruments um, and what they do is try to hedge it's called hedge fund because they hedge risks so they try to make positions that together will not uh, correlate with the rest of the market so it's like uh, if the stock market goes up 10 percent a year the hedge fund should also go up 10 percent but it should not vary uh, in the same way as the stock market and in a financial world, that's a benefit because then the, if you have a hedge fund in your portfolio, it, it reduces the, the portfolio risk. It's, it's, a bit, uh, it's a bit difficult to explain uh, in a simpler way, but I, I think hedge funds are much more aggressive in the way they invest. They're much more actively seeking uh, investment opportunities that where can I profit from this? And then you you get into this called vulture funds where you try to exploit you know companies or, or countries are in a bad shape and then you try to exploit that and, and make profits that's normally hedge funds but much more aggressive uh, aggressively investing and in the beginning they started up like mainly taking care of money from the the people of high net value whatever you call it the the, the most wealthy people that, that's how they started up i guess i guess but now they are they have been broadening their client base in some way hasn't they yeah i know i, I they used to be a part of blackrock i mean i think they stem from the same company yeah they and, started together yeah and i think blackstone is actually not really a, a hedge fund they they might provide hedge funds as products that you can invest in but they are i think they're uh, the world's largest listed private equity uh, right. company, which which invests in non-listed companies, so smaller companies that are not uh, listed on a stock uh, exchange. So that's kind of their niche. Yeah, that's right. So did we understand this, Leilani? I think so. <laughs> Can you now re repeat this? <laughs> <laughs> Hedge funds take more risks and can be more aggressive uh, because they're not tied to um, shares and and investing just in shares. Mm. They, good. And they actually, one word, they speculate. That's, That's their right. prime business. Yeah. Okay. So they hedge their bets. <laughs> That's, so we are learning something all the time. This was great. This was great. 
thank you so much for being part of, of uh, Pushback Talks. And, and please keep, keep up your work because I, I, I retweet whatever you do all the time because I think it's so cool and I can, and I can feel that you make a difference. And that's, that's not a small thing to make a difference. It's actually very cool. So, so thank you for that. Yeah, thanks a lot. My pleasure. So happy you are on our podcast and I'm really happy to meet you. Leilani, we are going to talk soon. Uh, next week we are going to meet, or soon we're going to meet both the Danish housing minister and uh, the vice president of the U European Commission, Franz Timmermans. So we are, we, we're, we're going to, it's going to be cool. Okay. Looking forward. See you soon. Take care out there. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>